Thank you so much. Wow. Good to be with you and enjoyed a great dinner. Thank you guys for time we got to share together. Sorry, kids, you didn't get to come with, but what can we say? It is good to be here and is also wonderful to be in church without a mask. Iowa, bless you. Now, if you need to wear a mask, that's all right. I'm not, I'm not anti-mask. I'm not into all that stuff. But uh, Wisconsin had just put on a new deal, and we've been out for a month here, and this is our, our fourth Sunday out. First Sunday I preached was in Marshfield, Wisconsin, and everybody, they're handing out masks at the door because everybody inside had to have a mask on. Then we get to Minnesota, the same story, at Duth Gospel Tabernacle in Kettle River. They'd had an active COVID case, so we ended up with outside church, so I preached a bunch of windshields. And uh, I think they were in there. I think they were okay. They all drove off, so I guess you, know, you, you wonder when you can't see anybody. Somebody was tooting their horn a little bit. I think that was an amen. I'm not sure. But it's all, it's all different. Isn't it crazy? I mean, we are living in a unique time and uh, a different time. And uh, we need a time when we need God to be at work with us and in us. Hey, just before I preach, just real quick, just a little bit about the fellowship. Uh, if I get the slide, I'll just keep giving you a thumbs up. We're going to go pretty quick. But 2022, we're going to be 100 years old as a fellowship. We had our first uh, gathering in uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul in, in 1922. And in 2022, we're going back and going to be celebrating the centennial. Some of you may be able to do that in April of 2022. We were supposed to have had a convention in 2020. That didn't happen in San Diego, hopefully Next year it will, but uh, we never know what's going to happen. But anyway, as a group, we're not real large. We've got 87 listed churches. We've got a bunch of others that kind of connect with us, but they have not committed. And uh, we list 440 ministers. Of that, 94 missionaries. We've got an incredible, strong missions emphasis in our fellowship. Have some very large churches, some churches of 3,000, 1,500. And um, so that all together, I figure we have about 20,000 people meeting on Sunday, used to be anyway. I don't know how many are meeting now, but that's what we were. But internationally, uh, we've had a partnership with Liberia. I'll talk more about that in a minute, but that's been going on for 100 years. And then uh, in 2009, uh, we added Nigeria, 2017, I believe it was, Zambia, then Kenya, Ivory Coast, Ghana. And so we had those. And then affiliates like Steve Mayanja, I don't know if he's ever been here from... Uh, Uganda, but they have over 300 churches that have started out of our ministry. So just some really exciting things. So let's go on. And uh, this is Vacant Mono Kintaya. This was uh, Marketplace Church. Uh, anybody going to Boise, we'd love to see something happen there. It's one of the fastest growing cities in America. Keep going. This is uh, Bo and Renata Lee. And uh, Pastor Dave went to uh, Israel with, with Bo and uh, came out of uh, small town Wisconsin and up in Manhattan. And uh, they have Hope Hill Church. I got to preach there a couple years ago. Go ahead. This is Mike and Jamie Sansbury from Sunrise Christian Fellowship. They had moved up to Burlington, uh, laid the groundwork, and trying to find a place to meet. Couldn't find a place. Couldn't find a place. And uh, finally walked into this Presbyterian church five minutes after they voted to close. And they opened Sunrise North uh, right after that. So God's grace. And this is... Uh, the latest church plant, Justin and Kim Allison, they are not able to meet because all the theaters are closed. That's where they were meeting. Had an exciting thing going in, in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. And uh, go ahead. 
this was uh, some of the stuff what they were doing. And so brand new church started last fall, and uh, by the grace of God, still holding together. Here we go. This is Mexico City, Sam and Sarah Snyder up in the upper left. That's uh, Sam's the president of our fellowship. He's pastoring in uh, Minneapolis area, leading the Bethel family of churches. And uh, I got to go to Mexico City with them, with Tim Ost, who's uh, down below. And uh, the Faith, Hope, and Love Centers were started in the 80s. They now have uh, numbers of them. God doing some exciting things. Every service, they expect people to get saved. This is one of their new centers they're getting ready to build uh, in Mexico City. I went from Mexico City to, go ahead, to uh, Nigeria. The upper left is the uh, Bible school that was built by the fellowship, and uh, exciting to see that happen. And we just got a borehole pulled in, and I think they're now complete. The team that I had with me on the left are uh, Galen and, uh, Galen, oh man, why am I drawing a blank? Mullins. Uh, Whatever they are, the Mullins. <laughs> That's terrible. That is absolutely terrible. It'll come to me. Anyway, that I had the, uh, and then Liberia. This is the mission compound. One of the things that's always caught my heart, go ahead, is the people who gave their lives uh, for the service of the kingdom. Uh, George Call on the right was a part of the church that I pastored in Rockford, and uh, he died in a plane crash. Dorothy Eastburn uh, had been there for a good part of her life, and she was one of the last missionaries in the country before she passed. Go ahead. This was uh, the uh, past overseer, Kelvin Sine, and uh, his church, and the upper one, is they just got a roof on it. They meet, they get the walls up, get a roof on, they're in. Uh, no uh, building permits, none of that kind of stuff. They just start. And then they, uh, here's another one, Pastor Dolo's doing the same thing, trying to Keep multiplying. This was the final service or the, the, where the centennial celebration of Liberia was taking place. Ruth Erickson, who is pastor of, uh, pastor's wife from Duluth, E.C. Erickson, in 1919 went to Monrovia as a single woman. And uh, out of that ministry, we now have over 200 churches. We have uh, over 300 pastors. That, uh, Josiah and Ruth went on the top left. Go to the next one. This was the final service. We had over 1,000 people together in February of this year. I was there with Rolf Fury, an exciting time. Next one. And this was my, on, on the way out of Liberia uh, in February. I, I end up in Brussels. And uh, a lot of the international airports still have a place where you can throw your change and, and extra money. If you've got currency from wherever you left, you're not going to be able to use it when you get home. And so people will put their currency or change or whatever in, in barrels. And... Uh, so here we have uh, four barrels, if you will. One on the left is a children's thing. Next one is the World Wildlife Foundation for the, uh, uh, with the picture of the panda bear, Red Cross, and then UNICEF. And I was just taken by uh, how much money ends up with the pandas. The pandas got almost as much as everybody else can, can, combined. Just makes me wonder. What do we really value? What's important to us? And uh, not that we should not take care of the planet and that we should, uh, you know, not take care of the pandas. They're cute. And uh, we, need to, we need to be responsible, all that. I just was, con con just, just caught my attention that so much was given to the panda bears and so little comparatively was given to people. And uh, God's called us to people. We're here to represent people 
minister to people, to care about people, because Jesus died for people. Amen? All right. Thank you. All right, we got it. That's just a quick update, a little bit of what's going on. Becky, my wife, is with me today. Uh, we celebrated our 52nd anniversary on this trip, and uh, we get to go home, and in about two weeks, we get our first great-grandchild, kind of a cool deal. Our uh, second grandson has been married a couple of years, and he and his wife are expecting, and no later than September 14th, they tell us, we will be great-grandparents, and we will get really old. So there we go. <laughs> Next chapter. Yeah, but, but we're not really old. My mother's really old. My mother's still living. She turns 95 on September 21st, and uh, so she will be a great, great grandmother. She's kind of uh, processing that whole deal to be a great, great grandmother. So that'll be another chapter for all of us. Hey, let me talk to us for a few minutes this morning uh, about a, a simple word. It's a word we use often, the word faith. Faith is one of those words that is, uh, has multiple definitions, if you will. It's kind of like love. It can have different aspects. And in faith, it's keep the faith and have faith and a person of faith. And we have all these different aspects of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us the uh, definition of faith, the first verse that tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You probably memorized that somewhere along the way. Faith is that which we hang on to when we can't see anything. Faith is that which keeps us going when everything around us may not seem to be fitting together. Faith is that which is the thing that is deep in our heart and it becomes tangible to us even if others around us don't see that tangible evidence of what God is at work and doing. Faith is a requirement in the, in the, in the Christian realm. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, some of us may have started that journey by saying, God, if you're out there, you know what I'm saying? Say, God, if you're really there, and then we started filling in something, God, if you're really there, would you? And, and, and somehow there came something in our heart that began to de declare the reality of God and his personhood and who he was. It's that which puts us in relationship with him. But I'd like to talk for a few minutes about uh, three aspects of faith. And, and the first one, I don't know if we'd even call it faith, but people do. I'm calling it reckless faith. Reckless faith. And, and my simple definition of this is reckless faith is that which expects there are no consequences except good things that will always come to me. Reckless faith is that which operates without obedience. Reckless faith is that which makes presumption and assumes things which may or may not be true about what God is saying and doing. The second one is going to be risky faith, that which recognizes there may be negative consequences, but obedience says that we go anyway to accomplish whatever it is that God is calling us to do and, and, and accomplish. And the third one is resting faith, which is that place where we find our peace in God and we can rest in Him. So that's what I, what I want to share for just a few minutes. Reckless faith. Reckless faith is that um, perhaps best def defined by uh, an Old Testament story. As the children of Israel have gotten into the promised land, their first conquest was Jericho. Jericho was a walled city, a very powerful city, and the instruction was twofold. Number one, 
You are to completely destroy the city. Don't take a single thing other than Rahab and her family that are going to be spared because of her taking the spies in. So other than Rahab, everything is to be totally destroyed. That was an obedience issue. The plan for the attack of Jericho was we're going to march around the city one time a day for six days. Round the city, 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 round the city. Don't say a word. No noise. Can you imagine a, near a million people marching without saying a thing? They're just moving around, moving around. On the seventh day, you've got to do seven trips. And at the sound of the trumpet, everybody's to shout. And so they do this, and on the seventh day, they make the march. And when they end up with the shout, the walls collapse the city is open to them. The people are totally taken off guard, and the city is totally destroyed. They did what they thought they were supposed to do. Now, there's Bethel and Ai, a couple of smaller towns not too far away, and, and the, the uh, generals and the leaders say to Joshua, they are feeling pretty good. I mean, when you get done taking out a city with a shout and with the power of God, you are going to feel like you have got it going today. And so these guys said, you know, don't bother with the whole army. We'll just take a few guys up there, and, and, and we can take them out with 20,000. We don't need a half a million. We'll just take a small group, and we'll, we'll take it out. So they go, and uh, they find something has gone wrong because 36 guys get killed the first day. And, and, and now these people are in fear, and they come back to Joshua. What are we going to do? And they discern that there has been disobedience in the camp. A guy by the name of Achan had taken from Jericho a Babylonian garment, it's described as, and some money, some silver, and he'd buried it in his tent. Now think about that for a minute, how stupid that is. It, you know, sin is always stupid. We, we do things that are just plain don't make sense. When I was a little kid, I'm like six years old, five or six years old, I'm six years old. My younger brother, way smarter than me, and here is my younger brother, who's now four and a half, and he's got gum. I said, where'd you get the gum? He said, don't tell anybody, I'll cut you in. Turns out, my brother is shoplifting, and he now, we, here we are, four and a half and six, learning how to shoplift, and so we are in the stores when my mom would go to the store. We go to the National Tea, take the eggs in the back and sell them and then take the money up front and buy what we needed. And, and while my mom is doing this transaction, my brother and I are starting to stuff stuff in our pockets. And, 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 and we started doing this and, and uh, we're, we're taking stuff. Now, the, the stupidity of it was we're taking stuff we have no use for. We stole cigarette wrappers, but no tobacco, and so that we weren't going to be smoking but we got cigarette wraps because they slip really nice into a small pocket. And then we, and we were in a hardware store. We're taking carpet tacks. And then we got candles. They were a little more useful. And then, you know, if you're going to steal stuff, you take a little gum. But we had more stuff that we couldn't use, but that slipped into our pockets. We got so busy about this thing that, that we would sometimes make a trip out to the car, slide it on behind the back seat in the, in the crack under the seat and hide it. And then we'd go get more. And, Eventually, we, we had a storage place in one of the old sheds in the farm where, 
where it had a double wall, and we, we pried off the boards, we built shelves inside, put the boards back on. We had this whole thing going until we got caught. One day my dad found it, and that was the end of our, our career of theft. And, but but you know, we didn't need it. It was dumb. And that was kind of what Achan was doing. It was dumb. Achan has a Babylonian garment. Where is he going to wear the thing? I mean, you can't wear it. Because as soon as you did, where'd you get that? Well, you know, you didn't get it down at the local tailor. You got that out of Jericho, didn't you? And so he can't wear the thing. He puts it in the dirt, which is going to destroy it anyway. So here he's taking something he didn't need, but it, it causes disobedience that takes away blessing from a whole country. I could say a few more about this, but I won't take long. But just, just to say this, it, it is so important that we recognize we've got to be obedient to God or we're reckless. Now, here, here's just a couple of things. I, I, I believe in tithing. I you know, absolutely believe that tithing is, is a law like gravity. Every, I, I, I'm convinced everybody tithes. Uh, either the devil steals it or we give it to God. So I might as well have the blessing and give it to God. And so we used to do something in our, in our church, which was, was uh, for years, for about 25 years, I did a money-back tithing guarantee. And the deal was, if you haven't been tithing and you start tithing, in six months, if you're worse off, we'll refund the money. And, and don't be telling me you gave in cash. Don't be telling me that, you know, you gave $10,000 in cash because, you know, you've got to give accountably. That's, that's reasonable, isn't it? So if we have a record of it and, and we find out. So, in fact, I had a guy just last time I was at Rock Church a few a month ago, I guess it was, the place where I pastored and. Tom Perkins, and Tom comes up, he says, you know, you'll never believe this, but when you gave us that money-back tithing guarantee, I started tithing long before I got saved. He said, it was easier to tithe than get saved. So, okay, he said, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't lose because you were going to give my money back if it didn't work. And he'd been tithing for 20 years probably since he, he came to the Lord. But I say that to say tithing is part of stewardship. Tithing is not a get-out-of-debt-free card that says I can take the 90% down to the casino and then wonder why I'm not blessed. Tithing is the first part of stewardship. And, and so if, if I'm going to tithe, I have to also understand God is giving me wisdom. Be careful with debt. Be careful what you invest. Don't try to get rich quick. All those things are part of stewardship that the Proverbs are full of that will help us to use that 90% better than we could have used 100% because God blesses it. Now, reckless faith says, oh, I tithe, so it doesn't matter what I do with the rest of my money. Yeah, it matters what you do with all of your money because all of your money belongs to God. Ultimately, he gave it to you, right? So reckless faith is saying, well, I, I tithe, so that's all I got to worry about. No, it's stewardship that goes with it. Or how about this one? We're living in the age of COVID and whatever it is, a unique time. And uh, reckless faith says, doesn't matter what I do because God's going to protect me. And so I'm going to just live with no hygiene, with no nutrition. I'm going to make my diet a bag of potato chips every day. That's 2,463 calories for 16 ounces. So, you know, I could, I could just say, well, that's... Uh, like, bless God, I love potato chips. I'm just, that's going to be my daily diet. That's not going to be good health. That's reckless faith. I carry my little bottle of Purcell, and uh, I use it regularly. Why? Because I've discovered that whether it's COVID or the common cold or anything else, clean hands 
are a great way to stay healthy. Simple. It's not a big deal, but reckless faith says, well, it doesn't matter. God's going to take care of me, and we run out, and little wonder, we get sick. Let me just throw one more at you. Reckless faith. Most of us know somebody, and probably most of us at some point in time, we're that somebody where we've been mad at God. You know, I'm not going to ask, but, you know, if we haven't been mad at God, we probably haven't been thinking. There's times when we feel, God, it wasn't fair. It wasn't right. You guys shared one of those get mad at God times in your life. I mean, oh, what in the world has gone wrong? We thought we're doing the right thing, and all of a sudden, everything goes wrong. But here's the, here's the point. Many times, in fact, most of the time, people are mad at God. It's because of something that God didn't do that they thought he should have done. And they filled in the blank. If God were God, he'd stop wars. If God were God, why does he allow somebody to be hungry? If God were God, he would have healed this person. If God were God, and we can fill in the blank, and it's been usually reckless faith when he failed to work how we expected, not how he promised. We sometimes need to get those things into perspective. All right, let me talk about risky faith. That's reckless faith. Risky faith understands the danger, but is still willing to act. Risky faith is that which keeps us in the middle of what God is doing, even though sometimes the circumstances may not make it seem that helpful or that easy or that good. Risky faith. Now, I know God takes care of us many times in ways that we don't even expect and that we don't realize. When uh, Becky and I had first gotten married, I expected to be a farmer. That was my plan. That was what we were thinking that we were going to do. And, and she married me with that hope because she'd been raised in a, by an evangelist and they traveled everywhere. She went to 13 schools and she thought, you know, if I marry a farmer, we'll be stable and I uh, won't be going everywhere all the time and, and there'll be security there. And so we're going to get married and about three months before we get married, I'm really sensing God is calling me to ministry and and uh, to leave the farm, and, and uh, I tell her that, and at first she was a little upset, but then she realized by this time we were a dairy farm, cows are twice a day, 365, I mean, it's, it's a, never a break, and uh, she's thinking the farm is not as romantic as we first imagined from the outside, huh? Yeah, some of you farmers, you, you know what we're talking about. So, so, uh, we get married, and a few months later, I'm headed off to, to Bible college in Seattle. And uh, I've got, she's, she's going to fly out a week or so later, and I'm driving out with a pickup truck with a kind of a tall capper on it, and everything we own, our whole world is in that pickup truck. And, and I take off 5 o'clock in the morning and drive from Madison, Wisconsin, down, down to pick up 80, and now I'm heading across Iowa on 80, and first day out. And I, I, I pass a semi and move back into the right lane. And just as I, as I crested a hill, just over the top of the hill, here's a little old lady coming up the wrong side of the highway. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm driving however fast you could drive back in 69, but it was fast. So I'm probably doing 75, 80 miles an hour. No seatbelts. Who needs those things? And, uh, you know, I'd have never made it to Seattle. We'd have been right there splattered all over the, the uh, I-80 same day. And, you know, and, and I wasn't even, I'm just 
going off to Bible school. I'm not thinking a whole lot about what it is that I, oh, God, you got to protect me and help me and be with me. And, you know, but he was, amazingly. And, and, and I, get to the, I get to Lincoln, Nebraska late, later that night and uh, take the third exit in. Lincoln is about a couple, three, four miles off the, off the freeway. And I turn in, and I'm, I'm going into Lincoln to get gas. And as I turn into the gas station, my right front tire blows out. And uh, when, I, when I changed the tire, the whole rim had cracked about a foot around of, of the rim on that front wheel. And you know, had that happened when I'm driving like I was driving? I never made it. That same trip, I end up in a whiteout on top of the mountain in Oregon somewhere and can't even see the hood, you know, and you're driving in the mountains with that kind of stuff. God, God takes care of us. He does. But I'm not saying, God, I'm, I'm going to go lay out in the middle of the street here, and I'm going to set up my tent in the middle of the freeway. I, I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. But does God take care of us? Absolutely, he does. When we're doing what God's called us to do, risky. Let me just give you a couple things. See, the, the lazy or faithless man, Proverbs says, I cannot go out into the street because a lion might be there. <laughs> a lion might be there, and if there is a lion there, I could be killed. So I'm staying in the house where it's safe. I'm not going out there because there might be. There might be a lion. Or, in fact, maybe they saw a lion. I don't know. But the faithless man says, I can't take on a lion. The risky faith guy is Benaniah, who is David's, one of David's guard and ends up being the general under Solomon. Benaniah ends up with a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Talk about bad circumstances. Benaniah has to take on a lion in a pit on a snowy day, and he takes on the lion and lives to tell the, the story and it becomes part of his record. He took on a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Risky faith. He was willing to go out of the house. He was willing to go out and do what needed to be done. David takes on Goliath because he took on a lion and a bear. That Philistine will be like the lion and like the bear that were trying to get to the sheep. I'm taking him out. He had faith in trusting God. But perhaps the greatest illustration is this. Story of Queen Esther. You remember the story where Queen Esther becomes the, the, the queen to Ahasuerus and uh, her uncle Mordecai, who had raised her, was at the king's gate and he was a Jew and Haman hated Mordecai. Haman wanted to get rid of Mordecai. And so instead of just getting rid of Mordecai, he comes up with an evil plan that says what we're going to do is we're going to kill all the Jews. And so he gets the king to sign an edict that all the Jews on a certain day are going to be killed. Mordecai finds out about it. He puts on sackcloth and ashes, and Esther sends out new clothes. She said, you know, come on, Mordecai, what's the problem? And Mordecai says, listen, you know what happened? The Jews are all going to be exterminated. And Esther, you're a Jew. Maybe nobody knows it right now. Maybe you're in the palace but even being in the palace is not going to protect you because you are a Jew. And you need to go to the king and plead for the lives of your people. Esther's finally convinced she needs to do it. And here's, here's risky faith. 
Esther says, listen, Mordecai, I want you and the people to pray for me. That when I go in, we'll have favor. Because I haven't been in there for 30 days, and if the king doesn't extend the scepter, I'm dead. But listen to what Esther says. I'm going to go in, and if I perish, I perish. Risky faith. She understood the consequences of her actions, but she also understood the necessity of moving and doing and following what God was calling her to do. Risky faith is willing to say, if I perish, I perish. Risky faith is what has allowed Christians to provide their communities with health care and other things that people who are people of faith have done. One of the significant ministries in Liberia was that we had a leposarium. And we sent missionaries to Liberia, and we supported an entire village, if you will, that was a leprosarium for people who were contagious, who were outcast by their society, who could have been a threat to the health of all of those who went because it's a contagious disease, and yet missionaries were willing to go, and they were willing to say, if I get leprosy, I get leprosy, I'm going to help because God has called me. It's Christians who took care of people with AIDS and now it's COVID-19 or whatever. It's, it's that sense that if God has called, we go. And if we perish, we perish. Not a fatalistic outlook, but an understanding that we have more to live for than anybody else. I'm convinced that right now one of the problems we're facing in our nation and our world regarding the COVID virus is this that the terminology used and the rationale that seems to be part of it is we have got to preserve as many lives as possible. And the term that is used, it, it, it bothers me. They will not say on the news that this many people died. We've had 180,000 people who've died supposedly of COVID one way or another. Over half of them were in their 80s and 90s who probably weren't going to live more than 10 or 20 years. If, you know, sorry if you're that old. I'm only 72. But, but the lives lost. It doesn't say people who died. It's lives lost. In other words, we as scientific, sharp people should be able to prevent any lives from being lost. Our medical facilities ought to be able to keep everybody alive, right? That's kind of how Americans think. And so the term lives lost is an indication that we have failure. And, and, and the failure is we've had this many lives lost. Now, I don't diminish the pain of any one of those losses and, and any one of those deaths. But if we're believers, our lives are not lost. We've been translated to the next, gener ne next level. To be absent in the body is what? To be present with the Lord. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in that which we are living for. And so the reason Christians can have risky faith is that we know that even if we perish, we will live on in eternity with our Lord. Even if we don't live through this till we're 99 or 110, we are going to be with our Lord. We have that eternal hope within us, and that's where our lives are, that we are willing to take risk, and we can have risky faith because we know 
that God has an eternal home for us, and we have a future and a hope with him. That's where we live. How do we get there? I think resting faith is the key. Hebrews chapter 4 is the, 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 the call of the author for people to enter into the rest of God. And, and listen to what he says. Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 8, it starts by saying, If Joshua had given them rest, he would not have afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. In other words, getting into the land was not the end. For the, he who has entered his rest, speaking of God's rest, verse 10, Hebrews 4, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter into that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Entering into his rest means we have ceased from our works and we have recognized it's over, it's done, it's complete. We sang about it this morning. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cleanse us from all sins. We don't get into God's favor by doing penance. We get into God's favor because we're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. It is the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross that is the, pays the penalty for all to sin. It is what Jesus has already accomplished that has finished the work for us. It is what Jesus has done. And what we are called to do is to accept what he has done as sufficient and enter into that place of rest. That place where we are fully trusting him. I love the story of Elijah. Elijah, the prophet, was um, receiving prophetic insight from the Lord, and, and uh, the king of Syria was trying to attack the Israelites, and, and Elijah would, or Elisha would send word to the king of Israel, they, there's going to be an ambush at such and such a place. And then they, they would go, and they would be protected, and the, the Syrians were frustrated because Every time they would try to set up an ambush, every time they'd try to prepare an attack, they, the Israelites would always know what was going down. And so finally, they, they, they say, it's that prophet Elijah guy. It's that Elijah guy who's telling the king of Israel what you're saying in your bedroom over here in Syria. And, and so the, the, the commander of the Syrian army says, you know, let's go take out Elijah. Elisha, I keep saying the wrong guy, Elisha. So they come to Elisha's house in Dothan, and this particular morning, Gehazi has gotten the coffee on, and Elisha is having his first cup, and Gehazi goes to the, to the door to get the Dothan Gazette, and he opens the door, and as he's reaching down for the paper, he looks up, and all of a sudden he sees this whole army surrounding him, slams the door, leaves the paper, runs back to Elisha, 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 we're surrounded. Elisha finishes his coffee up and says, okay, let's go. Let's go stand at the door and open the door. And Elisha says, God, open Gehazi's eyes. And his eyes are open and he sees surrounding the army of the Syrians, the army of the Lord, the hosts of heaven, 
that were there, the Elisha who were there, and now Gehazi gets to see them. And then he prays a second little prayer. He says, and, and now, Lord, close the eyes of this army. And so these guys are all blinded. And Elisha says, well, guys, you're in the wrong place. Let me take you to the guy you need to be with. And so they start down the road, hands on shoulders, one guy behind the other. They're trying to find their way down. They're all blind. And they're walking along, and eventually they end up in Samaria. And he gets everybody inside Samaria. And uh, they're now surrounded by the Israeli army. And, and, and now he says, okay, God, open their eyes. And they look around and realize they're all captives. The king of Israel says, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? And he says, no, 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 no. Just give them a good meal and send them home. They're captives. Gives them a good meal. They go home, and it says they never came back. Those guys said, we are not going back to that place. That was an experience we never want to have again. Resting faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Big image set up in the plane, and everybody's supposed to bow down and worship, and Nebuchadnezzar calls these three guys, and it was pretty easy to pick them out. Everybody else is flat out. These guys are all standing erect. Brings him up, and he said, don't you know I can kill you? Oh, yeah. And listen to what he says. O king, we have no need to answer you in this matter, for our God is well able to deliver us from your hand. O king, we will not bow down because God is going to deliver us. Now, they didn't know if God was going to deliver them from the fire or through the fire. Kind of an important thing to know. Sometimes we get delivered in the fire. Sometimes we get delivered from the fire. All they knew was God will deliver us. God is going to keep us away from you. And whatever you think you can do to us is not going to change our answer to you. We have risky faith because we have resting faith and we have trust in God. We could go on. Daniel in the lion's den, you know that story. He continues to pray to God in the middle of it all. Thrown into the lion's den, uses one of them for a pillow. They were angry, hungry, lions. Because if you read the rest of the story, Daniel sleeps good that night. The king doesn't get a wink of sleep. He's trying to figure out a way to get Daniel out. Comes in the morning early. Oh, Daniel, are you still alive? Yeah, I'm here. Pulls him out, throws in the guys who were the accusers, and they don't even make the bottom of the pit before the lions have torn them up. Wasn't it the lions weren't hungry? said, God shut their mouths, and they became a place of rest. So here's the reality. God has called us into that place of rest. People who are resting in God can have Risky faith. You don't have risky faith if you haven't got assurance in your heart of who God is and what he's done. You're not going to be able to do the things that God is really calling you to do unless you're resting in him. And if we're resting in him, then we can do what he calls us to do. I want want to give you two things that we can rest in that are assurances in our hearts. Number one, this promise. Matthew 28, 20. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. The promise that God is with us. Sometimes it may not seem like it. 
Sometimes we can't see it. Sometimes it's that the faith is struggling. Faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Sometimes we would like to see more than we're seeing, but somewhere deep in the heart, there's a knowledge that Jesus is with us. I don't know what the people that were persecuted by the Apostle Paul were thinking, and when the attacks came, they were vicious, and they were hauled off to prisons and everything else. But when the Apostle Paul, who is Saul at this point, has the encounter on the Damascus Road with the great light, and when God strikes him down and he hears a voice from heaven, listen to what the voice says. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting thou me? Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting the Christians? He doesn't say, why are you taking women and children and putting them in prison and why are you being such a jerk about all this, huh? No, he says, why are you persecuting me? Which says to me that Jesus is so tuned into us and aware of what's going on that he feels our pain and he is with us. And then his second promise, John 14, we hear at funerals often, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Behold, I go and prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And then this phrase, and if it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus, who later in that verse says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, in that chapter, is so much truth that he can tell his disciples, I would have to tell you if this wasn't true but it is true. There is a place being prepared for us that where he is, there we can be. And so there you have it. We can rest in him. Resting faith allows us to live in chaos, allows us to live in a world that may be going crazy because we are resting in the promise that he is with us, that he has prepared a place for us, And whatever risk he may call us to take, we know that he will be with us to accomplish his purpose when we're obedient to him. Oh, we're not going to run out and do crazy things. Or we might. (laughs) Sometimes risky faith looks crazy to some, doesn't it? Sometimes we try to define faith as being outlandish and crazy, and that's often reckless faith. And let me give you one final thought. Reckless faith is often about me and how powerful I am or how much faith I have or what I can do. Risky faith is all about him because it's trusting in him. And risky faith is evidenced in humility. If I perish, I perish. I'm the Lord's. I belong to him. It's not about me. It's not because I'm so brave or so strong or so full of faith. It's not not because of what I am, but it's because of what he is and what he allows me to do in him. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your truths today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this congregation. Lord, thank you for, for Pastor David and Jackie and their family. Thank you for the leadership team that you have here in Esterville. Lord, I thank you for 
a church that has a long history of faithfulness to you. And Father, I pray, may there be a continued breath of your spirit upon this people. May they accomplish all that you created them and and called them to be. And Father, I pray, may they find great joy in serving you, walking with you, living for you in Jesus' name.